Just as many song leaders have their favorite songs that they sing many a time, maybe a little more frequently than, than other songs, and just like preachers have their favorite texts that they can't seem to preach enough of, at this time of year, I have a favorite little illustration that I like very, very much. When it comes to one of my favorite reminders of, of what this time of year is all about, not only that, but because of the similarities it shares, that our hours, both as Americans, but more importantly as Christians. It is a little excerpt from an excellent book called The Rebirth of America. I've read it here before, but I think it is so important. Um, it reads as follows. On July the 4th, 1776, there was signed in the city of Philadelphia one of America's historic documents, the Declaration of Independence. It marked the birth of this nation, which under God was destined for world leadership. We often forget that in declaring independence from an earthly power, our forefathers made a forthright declaration of dependence upon God. Closing words of this document solemnly declare, quote, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, unquote. The 56 courageous men who signed this document understood that this was not just high sounding rhetoric. They knew that if they succeeded, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling new nation. If they lost, they knew they would face a hangman's noose as traitors. Of the 56 men who signed that historic document, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its bullets. Whatever ideas you have of those men who met that hot summer in Philadelphia, summer in Philadelphia, it is important that we remember certain facts about the men who made this pledge. They were not poor men or wild-eyed pirates. They were men of means, rich men, most of them who enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal lives. They were not hungry men. They were prosperous men, wealthy landowners, substantially secure in their prosperity and rest respected in their communities. But they considered liberty much more important than the security they enjoyed. And they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Final paragraph. Little did John Adams know how significant his words would be when he spoke to his wife, Abigail, on the passing of the Declaration of Independence when he said, I am well aware of the toil and the blood and the treasure 
it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of light and glory. I can see that the end is worth more than all the means. These men fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price, and freedom was won. Someone is said to be born free is a privilege. To die free is an awesome responsibility. Yet freedom is never free. It is always purchased at great cost. As I, as I read that and I, and I think about that, I can't help but think of, granted, on a, on a much multiplied scale, but I can't help but think about Jesus and what he did for us in giving us freedom. I can't think about, I, I can't read that without thinking about how unimaginable their sacrifice alone, but, but so many times more, how unimaginable the sacrifice that Jesus made to set you and I free from the tyranny of sin. I can't help but think of the unimaginable cost that Jesus gave to come and fight. And mark my word, Jesus fought for our freedom. He fought the devil on his own territory. How much Jesus paid and gave up to come and free you and I from the bondage of sin and death, to free us from that which robs us of life, liberty, and the possession of happiness and how Jesus came and fought in order to set us free from the grim and cruel oppressor when you and I had nowhere to run, no way of escape, nowhere to hide and nowhere to turn without Jesus. I don't know how beautiful heaven is. I don't think anybody does. When you have to when you have to use earthly terms to describe heaven, which John in the Revelation in particular did, he talks about the street of gold, talks about these pearly gates, the gates the, in his vision he saw this gate the size of this massive pearl, and, and he tries to describe how beautiful the city is in, in some sort of earthly terms that, and God even provided the vision in earthly terms so that so that we could try to get some small glimpse of it. I, I don't believe that the, the gates of heaven are a literal single pearl. But God used that illustration and that vision and that picture to try to show us just how incredibly, unbelievably beautiful it is. And I don't know how beautiful heaven is, but I do know this. Jesus knew how beautiful heaven was. He knows how beautiful heaven is. That's his home. Jesus knows. After having seen and known and possessing and experiencing both the glories of heaven and equality with God. We fight and we struggle with sin and, and we try to be made over into the image of Christ and, and we're trying to do this day by day, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. We're trying to become more like God and we spend our lives doing a miserable job some days of trying to become more like God. Jesus was like God, he was God. And he knew what it was like not only to have the glories of heaven but you want to talk about rich, you want to talk about powerful, you want to talk about, about having it all. Jesus had it all. And he surrendered all of that up 
in order to come here and fight for my freedom, to set me free from the law of sin and death. Open with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. It's a very familiar passage. We're going to cover three very familiar passages this morning, but please open with me as we look at them from this viewpoint. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this very thing. We would begin in Philippians chapter 2 with verse 5, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he was equal with God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. He, he went from equality with God. Everything, God can't be tempted. God can't die. God can't be, can't be reached by Satan. God, and Jesus had all of that. It didn't like he wanted to get there like we do. He had it all. Talk about giving up riches to fight for freedom. He left his home in heaven, the throne of glory, his immortality and inability to die, equality with God to come and fight in order to secure yours and my freedom from sin. Freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't cheap. Freedom is also not easy to either attain to maintain or to seek to liberate others with once you've been liberated and set free yourself. Tomorrow, this country celebrates the anniversary of the signing of its Declaration of Independence. But each of us as New Testament Christians who've been born again of the water and the spirit, we all have our very own, very personal declaration of Independence Day anniversary date that we had ought to celebrate even more frequently and more fervently. And that is the day that we declared our independence from sin and Satan in the waters of Christian baptism. That is the day that we not only declared our independence from sin, but we also declared our own personal dependence upon God pledging to him our lives, our fortunes, and all that we are. Because that's what baptism is. Just like the colonists were sick of the oppression and slavery that they were under, and they decided to no longer serve that oppressor, our baptism is our declaration of independence from the power and bondage, from the misery and the consequences of sin. It is where we take advantage of the blood of Jesus' sacrifice. It is where we declare to sin and Satan, and we say to them, I will no longer be under your rule. I'm done. No longer, no more am I going to be a slave to sin. No more. No more is it going to reign over me. No more am I going to face the consequences of continually serving sin. Those days are over. 
And I am declaring my independence today from that and declaring my dependence upon God Almighty himself. Do you remember the day, the date of your declaration of independence? I, I remember Karen's and mine very well. It was Saturday, April the 6th, 1985. That's our independence day. That was the day for us, not that we'll live on in infamy, but that we'll live on in eternity. Turn to me, please, this morning to Romans chapter 6. I told you it was going to cover familiar territory. Romans chapter 6 is a fabulous chapter, but it's a fabulous chapter in many ways, not the least of which is how it fits into the lesson this morning, how it says everything from God's perspective that I have said thus far this morning. Consider from the angle that I have talked about this morning, Romans 6. Verses 1 through 7, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Listen, once those colonists declared their independence and they got rid of, of Great Britain's rule, they weren't going back and serve the King of England again. Same thing with us. Once we have declared our independence, once we have gained our freedom from sin, we're not going back and serve that oppressor again, as Romans 6 goes on to say. Verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Boom. There it is. Not going to serve sin anymore. Just like the colonists told the king. We're not serving you anymore. We're not going by your rules. We're not going to live under your authority. We're not going to pay taxes to you. We're, not, we're free from you, buddy. That is what happens here. And God tells us that that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For, verse 7, he who has died has been freed from sin. Continuing on, if we died with Christ, that is, we died with him in the waters of baptism, put that old man of sin to death, declared our independence. If we died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. <laughs> Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You don't go back and serve it anymore. Consider yourselves dead to that. Those rules don't apply to you anymore. He's going to tell us at the end that the wages of sin is death. Guess what? If you've declared your independence from sin, then you don't have to pay the consequences for it. You don't have to experience spiritual death away from God and Christ. That's exactly his point. You're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't let sin control you. Now, that doesn't mean from time to time that you're not going to sin because you are. And God knows that. But you can't let it control you anymore. You have a new master. You're not enslaved to it anymore. You've broken that bondage by the sacrifice of Christ. You've declared your independence from it. Don't let it reign. 
And do not, verse 13, present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I love verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Isn't that awesome? Colonists said, hey, King of England, you're not reigning over us anymore. You're done. When we are baptized into Christ, we experience freedom from the consequences, freedom from the, the lordship of sin, freedom from all of that. Sin doesn't reign over you anymore because you're not under law. You're under grace. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Shall we go back to... No. No, certainly not, Paul says. Don't you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Be like the colonists after the declaration. Say, don't you know? You can't go back there and live by those rules. Don't you know that if you go back and you live under the oppressor's rules, then you belong to the oppressor? Don't live like that anymore. You can't go back there. But God be thanked, verse 17, that though you were slaves, you were slaves. We must never forget that. We were slaves of sin. It dictated, it ruled, it reigned, and we paid the price. Listen. Sin will beat you. Sin will kill you. Sin wants nothing good for you. Satan is only out to destroy you. That's all he wants because you are created in the image of God. That's all Satan wants because he hates God is to destroy God's handiwork. And he wants to destroy you. And sin is his tool. Sin is never there to help you. There's nothing anything good in it. There, there's nothing any good in it. And he says, verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you were, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What form of doctrine is Paul talking about? He's talking about the baptism. He started off here in chapter 6 with, talking about the first five verses. Because they had done that, because they had obeyed that and declared their independence from sin, they were no longer slaves to it. And he says in verse 18, having been set free from sin, when they obeyed that doctrine, when they obeyed Christ and they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, at that point they were set free, verse 18, from sin, and you became slaves of righteousness. See, earlier in the chapter, as we read, Paul said, baptized, old man of sin put to death, you raised up to walk in newness of life. It's not just the baptism. It's, it's, it's living different. It's living with a different set of rules and a different master, and it's the same thing he repeats here. Verse 18, once you were set free, you became slaves of righteousness. He said, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, just because you, you used to serve sin and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse, you kept on serving and it got worse. He said, now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now. You become more and more righteous in, in your, your thinking and your studies and you, you're transformed into the image of Christ and as you do that, you become more holy. He says in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? He said, where was that getting you? When you were, when you were living in sin, when you were living, where did that get you? What was the point? 
He said, you're ashamed of that now because you know it was so wrong, it was against God, it wasn't doing you any good. The end of those things is death. That, that's, that's where you were headed. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, when did that happen? When they were baptized. That's what he's talking about. That's what sets the stage for the, everything in chapter 6 are those first verses. That's when they obeyed the form of doctrine. That's when they were set free from sin. That's when they had their sins forgiven. That's when they made Christ their Lord and Master. And you become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and in the end, everlasting life. He said, now that you've been set free to serve a different master, the end of that is eternal life, not death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice in verse 23, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what? That little word in takes us right back around to chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, because there's only one way in, and that's to be baptized into Christ. And you go right through the cycle again. It's been said, you can tell a lot about what a certain section of Scripture, what a certain text is truly all about by the amount of times that certain words are used that Romans chapter 6 is talking about our declaration of independence. The day we were freed from the bondage of sin. Not only freed from the bondage of sin, but the consequences of sin. Can be seen in the repetition of such words as slaves. Romans chapter 6 includes the word slaves nine times. Nine times, slaves. It includes the word sin 17 times. 17 times in 23 verses, sin. Talks about when we were slaves of sin. It uses the words reign or dominion three times, as well as the word free three times. It is talking about being set free. Our personal declaration of independence that day that we were set free from sin in the waters of baptism, never wanting to go back again and live under the tyranny, the consequences, or the outcome of sin. But here's the thing. It doesn't stop there. First of all, just because you and I declared our independence and were set free from the one that enslaved us, doesn't mean he's willing to just let us go. You can declare it all you want, you can be baptized, you can have the best of intentions, but it doesn't mean the enemy's gonna give up. That doesn't mean the oppressor's not gonna try to take you back over. We, we see this time again. We're, we're seeing it right now in, in the war in Ukraine. Ukraine wanted to become independent, but just because they wanted to become independent to form their own government doesn't mean that the oppressor that they were under has given up, does it? What's he doing? He's trying to take them despite their declaration of independence. That's what, if we look back further in history, that's what the War of 1812 was all about. The United States declared her independence from Great Britain. What led up to the War of 1812 later on was that British ships out in the sea were, were taking American sailors, saying, well, you still belong to Great Britain no matter if you've declared your independence or not. And America had to go at it again and had to fight again to keep, see, declaring our independence and gaining it's one thing, maintaining it's something else. 
Don't miss that. You've got to continue to fight for the freedom because the oppressor is not just going to walk away and, and leave you alone. Satan is not just going to up and quit because you have been set free by the blood of Christ. He is going to keep trying to re-enslave you. It's a fight that you, even though you've won your independence, it's a fight to keep it. Right, church? You all know this, right? Same thing with Jesus in, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. After Satan lost the battle to get Jesus to fall to temptation, says that Satan departed from him until an opportune time. Satan was coming back. He won't give it up that easy. Jesus may have won that battle, but Satan was not ready to quit. Secondly, just because we declare our independence from the one who enslaved us doesn't mean there's always just going to be peace and harmony within us. Oh, it would be so sweet if it was. But it doesn't work that way. When America declared her independence, years later, there developed a great rift within the United States, between the North and the South. And the Civil War was fought and many lives were lost. How many times after we declare our independence in the waters of Christian baptism do we struggle inwardly with decisions where, where we got one thing that's pulling this way and we got one thing that's pulling this way and we don't know and we beat ourselves up. I don't know about you as a Christian because I'm not inside your mind and you're not mine either but I know there's times I beat myself up. I, I need to do this. No, I need to do this. Well, if I do this, but I've got to do, but you ever, how many have ever done that? Am I the only one? Is there anybody else in this room that's, that's had an inner struggle like that? Okay, good. This shouldn't be a foreign concept. But I think about that parallel when I think about the declaring of, of our independence. There are going to be those inner struggles and wars and battles. And sometimes the enemy is going to seek to so deceive us and confuse us and overwhelm us and deter us that you know what? It might, he might even make it look like it would be easier if we just simply went back to slavery. Now, all of us, now, now we may raise an eyebrow and say, well, God, I'd never want to do that. You tell me that Satan hasn't tempted you at least once to go back. That Satan hasn't tempted you at least once saying, this Christianity is just too tough. The opposition's too great. I got to give up too much. Isn't that what happened to the Israelites in Egypt? Did, uh, the Israelites, when they fled Egypt, isn't that what happened with them? They got out there. How many times did they say, man, we had it so much better back in Egypt. We had, we had meat in the pots, and boy, if we could only go back there. Right? They did it. In the Civil War that I just mentioned, after the war was over, many of the slaves wound up going right back to their masters and oppressors and working for the same guy for the same situation, pretty much. New Testament Christians today, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, many of them set free from sin and then they go back and they're enslaved to the world once again because it's just too hard, they think, to stay a Christian. The third and final parallel or similarity between the United States Declaration and, and our Declaration of Independence would be this one. The United States of America, since declaring, fighting for, winning, and then continuing to fight to maintain and defend its freedom has been called upon a lot of times throughout history after that to help others to 
gain their freedom or to defend their freedom. Aren't we doing that right now, sending weapons to Ukraine? World Wars I, II, the Korean conflict, Vietnam, history's loaded. Because we won our independence once we declared it and we became this symbol of freedom in the world, when others are struggling to find their freedom, to gain their freedom, or to maintain their freedom, often the United States is asked to join that fight. And I want for us to think about that real heavy duty and the parallels with us and consider our current ongoing evangelistic environment, mission, equipping, and focus. We see this whole idea that once we have become Christians and been set free from sin, that we are to go on then and help others gain their freedom. We see this clearly outlined in the third of the very familiar texts that I wanted to talk about this morning, and that's in 2 Timothy 2. Please turn there. 2 Timothy 2. And as you're going there again, let me say, this has to do with those who have already won their freedom helping others to gain theirs. 2 Timothy 2 is all about that. Because not only do we have to have our freedom gained for us through Christ, not only do we have to maintain and defend it because Satan will keep coming back around and attacking, but we have to help those who are struggling to find freedom in Christ as well to find it. Second Timothy is all about that. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is a responsibility of the free. Committing the message that Paul and these other gospel writers gave us, committing that message to others that they may be able to teach others. You therefore, verse three, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It is a war. No one entangled in warfare, engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Our top priority has got to be fighting this fight to help others gain their freedom. Verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Paul said, I suffer trouble as an evildoer because of the gospel I preach. Sometimes when you seek to share the gospel, you're going to be seen as a problem. You're going to be seen as evil. You're going to be seen as an enemy. You're going to be seen as a troublemaker. Paul said, I suffer trouble as an evildoer because of the gospel. Even, verse 9, to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Notice where salvation is again. It's in Christ. If you ain't in Christ, you don't have it. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. But he said, I endure all these things. Even being called a troublemaker. Listen, are you willing to be called a troublemaker for spreading the gospel? Are you willing to be called a troublemaker because you're trying to help others gain their freedom from sin and death? Paul says, I am. He said, you know what? I'm going to keep right on to doing it because freedom's worth it 
Just like those men said in that thing that I read earlier. Because freedom is worth it. I'll suffer whatever it takes to try to help set men free. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. He's going to mention this three times in this chapter. Don't get involved in all that stuff that don't matter. Don't get involved in all that stuff that's controversial that has nothing to do with Christ. Verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't get caught in all that, all that, that stuff that don't matter. Instead, study your Bible and, and come to understand Present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Know your Bible. Don't know every in and out of every little argument that's got nothing to do with Christianity and right versus wrong. Get familiar with the armor, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. We talked about this last week. Get familiar with your armor. We talked about how David wouldn't use King Saul's armor. He had to get familiar. Uh, he had to use something he was familiar with, and that's why he got the five stones. We talked about all the information that's now available out there in the foyer, back there in the corner, to go and fight the fight with. You've you got you to be, be prepared and, and know your armor. Kirk's always encouraging us on the Marco Polo app to get into your Bible today, get into your Bible today, get into your Bible today. Verses 16 through 19, he says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for these will increase the more ungodliness. Okay, that's the second time he said it. He said, their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And don't get caught up in all that other stuff. Know your Bible. Know your armament. Know your equipment. Because if you don't, you're going to wind up like Hymenaeus and Alexander. They didn't know the word, and so they got all crossed up in this false doctrine. He said, you can't do that. You need to stick with what the Bible says so that your faith is not overthrown, and God will know you because you know God. Verse 23. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife. Third time he's brought that up in one form or another. And then he comes to this at the conclusion of this chapter. Listen, if there was ever a text that made the point that we must continually, as a people who have been set free, help others to find their freedom, help others to not be taken captive by the devil, to help others not stay enslaved to sin, here it is. What does he say? And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Love corrects, but it does it correctly. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, what does the truth do? Sets us free. So they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The only thing that's going to set anybody free from the law of sin and death is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. That's why we got to know it. That's why we got to teach it. That's why we got to use it to help others gain their freedom, because they are captives. Those who are doing the will of the devil are captives. They have not escaped the snare. They are in his clutches. And if they are ever going to be set free, it is up to us to do it with the truth. That's why we study to show ourselves approved. 
And so, as I considered this morning's lesson, and as I considered at the same time our God-given ongoing mission, as I considered our door-knocking and the evangelistic efforts, all of these things that we've been doing and discussing and getting equipped and prepared to do in this, what I've decided to call the summer of new life and new growth and new beginnings, I was reminded once again that you never know. Brethren, we can think we do, but we don't. You never know when somebody may be seeking their freedom from sin and the impact that you can have on that. You just never know when somebody may be seeking their freedom from sin and death and how your actions might impact their accomplishing it. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I've been, I've been trying to shine a light and be a Christian now for years. It's never amounted to nothing. You don't know the impact you made on that person. You don't know years down the road. But sometimes you don't know days down the road. You don't know when somebody else might be looking to fight for their freedom from sin and death. And you can help them to be set free like you've been set free. This especially came to mind in light of our going over and singing to Bonnie on Thursday night. Our walking over to sing happy birthday to Bonnie this past Wednesday night. Although I'm pretty sure I've told you before, I want to tell you again because it fits so perfectly here. On Tuesday, December the 11th, 1986, our daughter, Kathleen, Katie, I said call her Kathleen, some of you may not know who I'm talking about, right? Our daughter, Katie, was born. December is cold in Maine. Matter of fact, just so you know, this week is supposed to be 100 plus down here. I looked at the temperatures in Waterford, Maine. It's going to be anywhere from 78 to 81, just so you all know. Um, it's cold in Maine compared to Oklahoma. And that December was cold, as December's used to be quite a while ago. But she was born on Tuesday, December the 11th. Thursday night on December the 13th, it was below freezing. Not below zero, but it was below freezing. I don't believe it was below zero. There was a, there was a breeze blowing, one of those, not, not hurricane force, but you knew the wind was blowing. There were snowflakes coming down. And despite all of that, on Thursday night, two days after she's born, half of the church, third to a half of the church, is going to go Christmas caroling to Karen, stand outside of the hospital window. Now, in order to do that, you've got to drive out back of the hospital, and you got to, you know, you got like this much snow on the ground, so you better have on something besides sandals. You've got to tromp that down, and the snowflakes fall, and the wind's blowing a little bit, and, and it's cold. And we stood outside with songbooks, and we sang I don't know how many songs to Karen. Karen was in a room with a, a young lady we didn't know. I mean, you get in the hospital, you get in the hospital room with somebody else, you don't know the person next to you. The young lady's name was Rowena Woodman. And she had a baby the same day. So they were religious people, to a degree. And so at the baby's six-week checkup, we decided to all get together and have dinner. They had the baby the same day. They were in the same room, right? Well, Rowena had seen the church come and, and sing outside of the window. So at the, the baby's six-week checkup, we decided to get together and have dinner. So they come over to the house. We had dinner. 
And the question basically come up, what are you people into for charge? What are you into? We, we've been to church, we know church, but, but, but what are you into that would cause that many people to show up in the cold and the snow to sing for half an hour to a system? What is this all about? So, me never being real overly shy, told them what it was all about. They came to church that Sunday morning. They came to church the following Sunday morning. And it was either that second one or the following Sunday morning, completely out of the blue, we sat right over here where Adam and Jody are, I think we're in the second pew maybe, the second or third, we sit on this side. And, and they sat, when they come, they sat with us, they sat right there on the outside and we sat like next to them. All of a sudden, second or third Sunday, they've been there, Rowena takes the baby, passes the baby to Karen, and they journey down front. We had no clue it was coming. No clue. We want, we want to be baptized. We need to be baptized. They were religious. We need to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. I remember baptizing Rowena. Her feet and her head wouldn't stay down at the same time, so I finally had to do this. But anyway, <laughs> they went on from there. And as of right now, her husband, Leo, has been a full-time gospel preacher for the last 16 years. Isn't that awesome? He's become a full-time gospel preacher for the last 16 years. He's served congregations in Maine. He's been at the Desert Church of Christ in Kingman, Arizona. And now, Leo and Rowena are at the 16th Street Church of Christ in Sterling, Illinois, where they've been since 2020. There's no telling how many people he's baptized or taught, all because the church cared enough on a Thursday night. They'd already met Wednesday. What's with these people? They meet, you know, four times a week? Yeah. And go out in the snow sing to a sister in Christ, you never know when somebody is looking to be set free that your love impacts. I want to tell you one more account, and then we will close. Because we always think, well, what we're doing is doing no good. We spend all this money on all this stuff, and we try blah, 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 and a door knock, and yada, yada, doesn't do good. Listen, you never know. Let me give you one more example. A serving congregation in the Midwest Congregation, you probably heard this one before too, but stay with me. Serving congregation in the upper Midwest, congregation decided to begin sending out house to house. It was short-lived, they only sent out four issues, but those four issues more than paid for themselves. Um, one Sunday, a young couple came to the door, 20 years old or so. Came to the church building, it was a Sunday night, and I asked them what brought them, like I do business, what brings you here? This right here. They had a house to house. They said, we get this house to house, and this is talking about being saved. We weren't saved that way. That's not how we were saved. Both of them had grown up Southern Baptist, strong, both of them. That's not the way we were saved. We want to know. Okay. We started studying with them. Well, on Sunday, July the 27th, 2008, both Freddie and his wife were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and they left their former religion behind. They declared their independence from sin. They were in our house a lot. They'd come over on Sunday afternoons. We knew them very well. Karen and I wound up leaving that particular congregation about six months later, and very, very sadly and tragically, within the next year or so after that, Freddie's wife left him for another man twice her age. 
at least. You know what Freddie did? I'll tell you what Freddie did. Freddie was distraught, but he never gave up his faith in God. You know what Freddie did? Coming out of the Southern Baptist, being baptized into Christ, realizing the truth, realizing everything was there. When his, when his wife leaves him, and all of the distraught and everything going on, he never lost sight of the Lord. You know what Freddie did? Freddie went to Bear Valley Bible Institute of Denver. That's what Freddie did. He was there from 2010 to 2012, studying. During that time in 2011, August of 2011, this man that his wife had run off with shot her to death. He turned the gun on himself. Long story, doesn't need to be retold. Freddie met a wonderful Christian lady up there after his wife's death. Married her, they've had two kids, and they have been at the Southside Church of Christ in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the last eight years. Freddie's a gospel preacher and he's been at the same congregation for eight years, still active, still preaching, still, still teaching. Matter of fact, when I called him this week to check on some things, he was at a summer Bible camp, just like Green Valley, only I'm sure in Michigan it was a lot cooler than our week's gonna be, but whatever. He's a faithful gospel preacher. There's no telling how many lives his life has touched, all because the congregation sent out. We'd have never heard of them if we hadn't sent this out. You never know when somebody is going to be seeking their freedom that you can have an impact on. As we close this morning, question. I know that to some of you in here, that have not yet declared your independence from sin and Satan. So the question is, where exactly are you with that? Have you declared, why haven't you yet declared your independence from sin and Satan? Accepted that victory that Christ died to give you and been set free from sin. This morning would be a good time to do that. Or, Maybe you're here this morning and you need a Bible study. You say, man, that don't sound right. Let's study. We got a number of people here who'll study with you. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've declared your independence, but the war since then, Satan has been hitting you hard and heavy and with everything he's got to not enjoy that freedom, to not enjoy everything Christ did for you. He's been fighting tooth and nail to get you back, to reclaim you, to make you a slave again to sin. Church here will pray for you. Those of us who have been set free and are enjoying our freedom and, and, and staying on top of it as much as we can will help you if you're not maybe on top of it as much as you'd like to be, we'll pray for you. Maybe you're somebody here this morning who's done all of those things but you just can't seem to reach out the way you know you should. Maybe you need the prayers of the church that you'll be stronger in realizing your own freedom and, and stronger and quicker to speak up to help others gain theirs. If you have not yet declared your independence from sin and Satan through baptism or you need help helping others to declare theirs and become free of it. If there's anything we can do to serve you this morning, please come right now while we stand and sing.